Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen continues her four-interview, eight-part series on family therapy and attachment theory with part one of her conversation with Carol Gammer about the child's voice in family therapy. Part two will be released on November 26th second. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm Karen Doyle Buckwalter, your host, and I'm excited to be with you today as we continue to delve into a special series that we are doing about family systems theory and attachment theory and how we work with entire families and family systems from an attachment-based perspective. So today we are going to be hearing from Carol Gammer, and um, she has her PhD in clinical psychology, and she was part of the clinical team of the Child Psychiatric Service of the School of Medicine of Harvard University. And she also directed a treatment center for adolescents in California. However, she has lived in Paris now for many years. She has founded family therapy training institutes in France, Germany, Switzerland, and Spain, and has been training family therapists throughout Europe for about 30 years. She has a model known as the uh, phase-based model of family therapy, and it is widely known and used in Europe. She trains and supervises also at psychiatric hospitals, associations for the protection of childhood and adolescent services, and she has done some services for the handicap as well. She's the president of the Association of Family Therapy by Phases and a member of the European Family Therapy Association. I particularly love, and we will be talking about it today, her book called A Child's Voice in Family Therapy, A Systemic Perspective. So I am hoping you will really enjoy this interview and I will be right back with Dr. Gammer. Supporting children and families who have experienced great loss and endured extreme trauma is a daunting task. At Chaddock, we have the experience and longevity to understand the type of support needed to keep the best and brightest engaged with this work. In January, the Knowledge Center at Chaddock will launch the next session of the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for helpers who seek to be rejuvenated and revitalized in their work with children and families. This type of renewal and confidence is a natural byproduct of gaining specialized knowledge, advanced skills, consultation, guidance, mentorship, and most importantly, being in a community providing the experience of being seen and understood. We have designed an experience and a soft place to land where all of these needs will be met in one central place. For more information on the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute, to join the waitlist for more information or to sign up, visit tkcchaddock.org. Well, hello, Dr. Gammer, and welcome to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. We're so thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoy speaking with you about the subject we're going to talk about, as it's very important to me. Yes, it's so important. And, you know, as you know, um, your interview is part of a series of interviews looking at 
family therapy and family systems approaches and including you know children in that work and not just seeing the adults and and you just have so many things to share about that um I know that you do, and you have this wonderful book I want listeners to hear about right away, The Child's Voice and Family Therapy. We'll get to that in a little bit. But could you share with listeners maybe your informal biography, you know, how you found yourself on this path of being a therapist? I I graduated from Barnard, and I was um, a math major. And I shifted after my graduation to become a clinical psychologist as it interested me and was a passionate desire that I always had. And um, at that point, uh, I was accepted at the University of Wisconsin in their clinical psychology program and did my doctorate there, where I learned at that point in uh, time at the universities, we were at the university I was, we had to learn three approaches to therapy. One was analytic therapy, the other one was uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and the third one was family therapy. And we were very lucky to have mentors and supervisors and cases in each of those three areas. So my basic pre um, getting my doctorate was on all three therapy areas. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then um, I was, uh, I had a postdoc at Harvard in Children's Hospital where I went and where actually family therapy was not done. It was only individual therapy with children. And I remember organizing with colleagues who saw the other members of the family, the mother or sisters or brothers or father, to do family sessions after all these psychoanalysts left. And so uh, I was conducting with colleagues family therapy sessions, putting together all the pieces uh, during three years when I was at Harvard Medical School Children's Hospital in the Department of Psychiatry. Yes, so that reminded me. That was a long time ago. Yes, but this reminds me of Bowlby's story about how his supervisor would not let him consider the parents. Um, of children that he was seeing because they said, you know, everything is based on fantasy and, you know, and these types of things. And why would you want, you know, to see a parent? And he thought that was ridiculous. And I mean, that's part of how he parted ways. Um, so you were going into an environment that wasn't looking at things systemically either. So, so how was that responded to that you were like, trying to do this they kind it was accepted but kind of ignored yeah so i mean it was within an on psychoanalytic approach to child therapy yes so um as i had learned family therapy in my graduate days i knew how to work with families and difficult families so when I left um, Harvard, I went out to the West Coast, and there um, all kinds of therapy w- was accepted and developed. And you were, if you were interested in any form of therapy, it was very easy to get training and go further. 
So I became more and more focused on uh, family and couple therapy. I saw the value of not seeing children, adolescents alone, or one member of a couple relationship who was very unhappy in, in the couple relationship. And uh, in California, I started teaching and doing training in family and couple therapy. Yes. Um, professionals. Yes, I feel like, um, well, I already knew this before I invited you, but, you know, you're such a perfect guest for a series like this because really your whole entire career, you've been advocating for a systemic approach as a way of looking at things that, um, like you said, not not just seeing a child alone, um, not seeing one person in the couple, um, so then you also worked at a residential center for teens and where was yes. that at? Where That actually was in Wisconsin, um, where I worked in the Wisconsin school for girls and the Wisconsin school for boys, which were where delinquent or um, abandoned or abused teenagers were placed by the justice system. Mm-hmm. And what were some of the key things you learned there, would you say? Well, I was very lucky because my um, supervisor was one of the best known family therapists at that point, who was named Carl Whitaker. And he supervised me. I was um, I will say I was too young to really do effective family therapy. And I learned as I got older um, that it took a lot of skill and life experience to become very competent. Wow. I'm just sitting here thinking, having your supervisor be Carl Whitaker. I mean, that's just, and maybe you also, I thought you were going to say, I didn't understand the magnitude of who he was and what he was doing at the time. I no, maybe, I did. I did. You yeah. did. Good for you. Yes. And also, I'm curious about that statement um, that you weren't ready to do that work yet. And yes, yeah, so when I was 23, 24 years old, um, and I was very young. And um, like most young people, it's very difficult then to be in a position of being able to support parents as well as teenagers. Mm-hmm. and children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because this working with the whole family there's a lot going on at one time and I think of most of my family systems training is in Bowen systems theory so in my mind I'm thinking it's hard to be a non-anxious presence in the face of that. And I think more maybe maturity and experience helps us do that, would you say? Um, not only experience, especially, and maturity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, you know, at some point you left the United States. I don't know how much you know, t- time yeah, there was. I can explain what happened. Um, in the late... Uh, we're in a time period many years ago where, uh, ca- for example, California, the California state mental health system uh, closed most of the psychiatric hospitals. That was following what was going on in Italy and sending patients back to the home. Um, however, 
they in California, they had uh, at that period had very large mental health centers in which one of which I worked in, where that was responsible for a large catchment area in California, which was at that point just uh, next to San Francisco. And um, systemic work was necessary. We were our team was going into schools. We were working with police. Uh, intervening and helping them intervene in family conflict, in uh, psychotic episodes, in drug overdoses. And um, that work, community-style systemic work, was then um, missing in Europe. And the first after Italy, the next country that became very in closing the mental health hospitals where they would send children, adults, and adolescents was Sweden. So I was invited to Sweden to train in uh, child psychiatric units, the, them, how to work with families, because they needed that. Mm -hmm. uh, they were working with uh, children individually. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and forth. And from, from Sweden, I got invited to Germany and from Germany to Switzerland. And I was um, going back and forth uh, between California, where I lived, and doing training in Europe. And at some point, um, we decided to move to Europe and for a year uh, and uh, stayed for a much longer time. So this plan to live in Europe started out as a one-year plan. That's right. Yeah. And now it's been, what, 30 years? Uh, 40. 40 years? Yes. Yes. This is just such an incredible story because yeah. so so you're so, – so they wanted to close some of these uh, psychiatric – Places. Well, it was a big movement yes, in Europe. Yes. And, like we're going to yes. reintegrate people into the community right. and home. But Except I, that when it was done in California, the governor was Regan, and he did it for financial reasons, okay. not for uh, ethical reasons. Okay, okay. And so in a way, though, then you were being called upon to say to, to how, what, okay, so how, how in a family and, and in the community are these people going to function? Yes, that's right. You know, it reminds me a little bit of um, my experience in foster care where a lot of kids were in residential treatment and then they decided, mm -hmm. no, we don't want these kids in residential treatment. We don't want them in psychiatric units. We want to put them in foster homes. So, but, but, but the problem was there was not a lot of training and help. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to go from taking a child whose behaviors want warranted placement in a psychiatric unit and just have them in your house now. And so I'm imagining you being confronted with these very extreme cases. Uh, that's accurate. Yes. Yes. And um, not and less extreme also, because when uh, people started, when my professionals started realizing the efficacy of working with the family, and there was more and more and more and more research done between comparing individual therapy, whether couple, th individual 
um, therapy, couple therapy, or individual child therapy for different symptoms and problems, and uh, family therapy for the same symptoms and problems. So now you're into research on efficacy. Mm -hmm. And the research on efficacy, which motivated uh, European, some European countries like Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands, to support training in family therapy and systemic therapy was very clearly showing that uh, this was a necessity to work with the family mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the couple. And so um, the research was very supportive of accepting family and couple therapy as a form of psychotherapy, mm -hmm. which took a long time, took many years to win over the uh, fight within professions of who was going to be uh, approved for insurance payments uh, when you saw a patient. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've we've um, in some ways in the United States, we've we've lost that fight, because if you really try to bill what you're doing, family therapy, there's either lower rate or no rate as compared to billing for an individual person with a specific DSM diagnosis. That's accurate. However, in, in Europe. It depends what country you're in. Laws are very different mm -hmm. in, because in many of these countries, most of the therapy is uh, not private, but public. So okay. there are family counseling centers and um, in all the different countries. So each hospital has a, for example, in France where I live, each hospital unit, whether adult psychiatry or child psychiatry, has inpatient and outpatient. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, the therapy is free. Mm -hmm. wow. Of course, that's changing now with uh, the economic change yes. in that there are less and less money to support public therapy. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm still, and I knew this before from reading um, in your book and your background, but I'm still thinking about this Whitaker and, you know, and also that there was this really in America, such a, I don't know, a renaissance, a heyday. I don't know, Virginia Satir and Murray Bowen and Jay Haley and the child, Philadelphia Child yes. Guidance Clinic model. You know, all of these things were just like brewing and percolating. Like, well, do, you, do you remember all, not do you remember all that? Was, what do you remember about all that? I was, uh, I was trained by uh, Mnuchin also. Yes. And by Virginia Satir. So I was um, first generation in the sense that I was lucky to meet these very, very wonderful therapists and receive training from them and then integrated in a way that fit for working with families that I believed in. Yes. There's not many people that can say that. Uh, 
you you really learned from the best and were able to integrate it into a model and now share that and teach it all over the world. I, I just think it's so wonderful. But I want to say what was missing at that point was um, a lot of knowledge about attachment research and theory. Yes. So that didn't come until later. Yeah. Yeah. And then that fits just perfectly in my own belief system of what was important in working with relationships. Yes. And so how did you begin, you know, because there's some people now, maybe like Susan Johnson and EFT or something. There's some people, there's some models now where that is really very integrated into what they're doing and teaching, but that wasn't the case then. So well, you were holding these ideas in your mind from attachment theory and having all this training from um, these different family therapists or finding your own skills as a family therapist. How did you begin to integrate it and put it all together? The first international conference in attachment theory and research was in Paris, organized by colleagues. And um, I went to that conference and um, had saw pre heard presentations, and I had been reading research through uh, for several years, and books about attachment research and methods of working. And at that conference were many of the leading attachment people from the states, from Europe, from the Net Netherlands, from Germany, the Grossmans, mm -hmm. and um, as I had. I had been, I have a training, at that point, I have, I have a training institute in Germany, Switzerland, and France. So I have contact with professionals in these three different countries who have very, very different professional training and access to research and theory about attachment. Uh, France, that came much later. Mm-hmm. After Germany, uh, Germany had much more, uh, and the Netherlands had much more early attachment research going on. Mm -hmm. So when you went to that conference, did you feel, um, because what, what, what you were doing and teaching was quite different than, you know, maybe what you were learning from the research community like how you were practically applying that well research community means what it means that i was um learning a lot by sitting next to coders who were doing research projects for example uh ed tronic and i went to graduate school together and mm -hmm. are were friends for many years and i sat next to his coders and watched what they were coding uh, the same thing with other researches where I would watch the coders and how they would code interaction. Um, not in a clinical way, but in a uh, research way, which is taking a second maybe and doing um, coding with several, the second broken down to several pieces or doing a two minute coding. So mm -hmm. coding, watching coders in attachment research and child development research helped me a lot train how I could observe interaction much better. 
Yes. Yes. And so that was the connection between research and becoming a better clinician. So part of it was was being a much more careful observer and understanding more what those interactions mean in a different way, maybe, or a deeper way than you were previously? First of all, observing them, because they're very fast. Yes. Um, And secondly, uh, one of the things that family therapy led to that was a revolution in therapy was that sessions were videotaped. And in the videotape, you can analyze what you did what you didn't do, uh, you can see interaction, you can stop interaction, you can slow down interaction. And that was um, a revolution. Um, family therapy also, when it was revolutionary in that we started out before we had, you know, we had the big reels of videotape. Yes. That's how it started. And we also had uh, one-way vision screens. So therapy opened up. And you could see what was going on in therapy. Um, All the conferences that we went to, the therapists worked live with families or couples in systemic therapy. And that made therapy more learnable in that you observed uh, real therapy, either by video behind the one-way vision screen or in um, a conference setting workshop setting yes and you know there's nothing like it there's nothing there's no lecture no book no you know role play that in my opinion comes close to seeing you know the the two things the therapy live but then what you're also bringing out so importantly is the video because we can like right. said, we can see things that we can't see live. That's right. So um, that's an integrative, very important part of how I train people is video, watching sessions, analyzing interaction, uh, like one would do also in research, but clinical tapes, clinical videos of uh families and children and interaction. Yes. So I'm recognizing as we're talking that that's probably what was so important and different for me about training to be a therapy therapist, because we had to tape every session and a supervisor went over Mm -hmm. it. And um, you just, I'm so committed to, to doing video supervision for people because i just i mean going to somebody's office and reporting what you remember happened there's just no comparison right because we're going to have we're going to have unconscious things and implicit memory that's happening in this session that you can't Mm -hmm. even report to someone so you you're not really seeing what happened just by a supervisee telling you about it that's right you're hearing their version of their subjective self in the uh the session. So the revolution was really seeing and hearing what went on in the therapy room and using that as a training method and using it with families also. Yes. Uh, I'll 
you know, I use like I'll videotape an interaction or they'll send it to me and I'll analyze it and then we'll look at it in the session. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. The use of video. And we know, you know, that has had such a prominent place in attachment research since the very beginning. I mean, all the way back to the Robinson films, like there's something going on with these children that are being put in the hospital for extended periods of time, you know, without their caregivers, like, you know, coming through modern attachment research with, you know, Beatrice Beebe's microanalysis and when you brought up Tronic, so much has happened um, with video. Can't can't stress the importance of that enough at lots of different angles. I agree. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So do you do very much training in the US? No, I don't do any training in the US actually. Um, because I come to the US for uh for vacation mm-hmm. and I'm working in, well, I do do some with zoom. But, okay. Um, and, in, but when I, I mostly, my training focuses in Europe mm-hmm. where I do training. Mm-hmm. And I see, I also have, I also see families and couples in the practice. Yes. Yes. Cause I could imagine some listeners thinking, Oh, I, she has these institutes in these different countries. You know, some of our American listeners are wonder if I could access training with with her in the U.S. So the answer to well, that is no. No, unless they speak French. Oh no, they would have to come to Paris or to Germany or to some where I do it. Yeah. Yes. 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 And I do it in the uh, actual language where I I'm working. So not in English. Right. So, 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 so you speak, um, obviously then multiple languages beyond French and English. Cause if you are in Germany. I, yeah. I speak French, English, and German. Okay. I also teach in Spain, but, um, I understand Spanish, but I don't speak it. Okay. Well, gosh, that's, that's impressive mm-hmm. too, that you're able to do that. Fantastic. Yeah, so um, so as a result of all of these amazing experiences you've shared with us, um, and I know we're going to be winding down our first part of the interview, but I wondered if we might be able to introduce to our, our listeners your um, family therapy by phases approach, like what just if you had to give the elevator speech on that before we wrap okay. up today what would um, it be um the model was developed based on my experience doing family therapy and uh supervising the first phase is uh to focus is focused on the presenting problem that the family comes with or the crisis that they're in mm-hmm. so you're working with uh, an eating disorder or you're working with a child who's having meltdowns and uh, has uh, ADHD and not able to uh, go go to bed at night and sleep and concentrate on homework or... And so uh, that first stage with children or adolescents who are did a, a suicide attempt or 
<clears throat> or uh, uh, a decompensation at 18 years old with a diagnosis of uh, schizophrenia. Okay. So you're dealing with the symptoms. I'm not talking about curing. Or you're dealing with how the symptoms have in the first phase affected the family, the consequences on the family, and empowering the family to be actors and have agency, constructive agency, and how to help them discover ways that they themselves can be in the interaction in a way that's more helpful Mm-hmm. to go forward. Okay, you, so that's stage one, phase one. You can heal schizophrenia in family therapy, but when there's a first episode, uh, there are very clear things that are helpful and not helpful. Okay. So it's not psychoeducation, but a, maybe with certain problems, there's a part that's psychoeducation, like with okay. schizophrenia or ADHD. The second phase then opens up. It's called the enlargement phase Uh where you're uh, dealing with not just um, what is known as the identified patient, but with other members of the family, like sibling relationships are very important. And often they aren't presented as the difficulty. You're dealing with um, the uh, relationship with larger family, grandparents, grandparents. aunts, uncles, cousins. You're working also on the issue of uh, social contact and friendship, Mm -hmm. the family's ability to deal with practical life, their decisions, like um, getting kids to cooperate. Yes. uh, At home on practical issues. Okay. So each family has its unique strengths and its unique weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And you're making a new contract with the family to enlarge the focus of the work. Okay. And then phase three? Phase three is an invitation presented by the therapist to the adult couple to come without the children and look at many issues in their couple relationship, both parental, parental, and con- and as a couple. Okay. On that um, has to do with the ability to create a secure attachment mm-hmm. base in the family mm-hmm. and to deal with many couple issues that you do not want to talk about in front of the children. Yes. Because it would only be a burden to them yes. to be involved in these discussions. Yes. Then phase four? There is no phase four. There's oh, only three. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking there was five yeah. phases. So there's three no, phases. No, there are four. Oh. Three phases. That's right. Okay, good. Well, Dr. Gammer, I'm so excited. I just want to say sometimes it starts with a couple who come. Oh, and okay. You are, and you go that's backwards and you're in the family. Yes. Well, I um, am really eager for us to continue this conversation. So listeners, please join us next week as I continue my interview with Dr. Carol Gammer, her wonderful way of working with families and looking at family therapy and family systems approaches from an attachment lens. So thank you for our conversation so far today, Dr. Gammer. You're welcome. 
Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 